Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 157 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I read books for the first time. Or, at least one of us does. In this episode, we're going to be reading The Children of Hurin by J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, Hurin. The Children of Hurin by J.R.R. Tolkien. Chapters 5 through 8. Do you have any housekeeping? I mean, I guess we should redo the edition edition. Why? Oh, because yes, yes, yes. We have a revised edition edition for half of our hosting party. That's true. I now have The Children of Hurin by J.R.R. Tolkien in library hardback. Yay! Which, I gotta say, has all of the illustrations I was missing before, so that's at least nice. Do Have you been using the uh, appendix? I have. I've been flipping back and forth to the appendix to try to make sense of this. Has it been helping? A little bit. Okay, that's good. A little bit. I also had to... um. Just because there's, I, I got to shift gears in my brain pretty dramatically to get into reading this book. I had to put on the noise-canceling headphones and just oh, put on yeah. uh, binaural beats, mm-hmm. you know, where it's just like droning and static, mm-hmm. and that kind of drowned out everything, and I was then able to read this. Yeah. yeah. How, have you, how have you liked the illustrations so far? The illustrations are classic Alan Lee. I always like his stuff. I've got a Hobbit illustrated by him. I've got a Lord of the Rings illustrated by him. They're super fun. I think Tolkien, I think Alan Lee. So they're great. Um, there's some in here that I've been really appreciating, like specifically, like uh, I really liked the illustration for Chapter 7, at least presuming they're the same illustrations. I mean, I... Um, it's this like, isn't one of the full page ones, right? You have full page ones. Oh, you don't have things like this? Oh, I do, but uh, I think I have those, but those aren't, that's not what I'm uh, I'm talking okay. about. I'm talking about the ones around the chapters. So, like, chapter seven for me has, like, a, a pencil sketch. Yeah, 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 with the outlaws all surrounding him in the Brambley Woods. No, that's that's not chapter seven. Oh, that's six, that's six. Mea culpa. But, yes, it, it sounds like it'll be the same then, because that is of the Mim one. Mim the dwarf. And his two sons. Yeah. His, yeah, his dwarf look is really cool. I, I really dig the way he draws dwarves. That makes sense. Um, I like his Lembus bread sketch uh, later on. Spoilers for the chapters that you've already read. Might sound weird that like to to say that I like the, those sketches as opposed to the others, but the others are they're just they're okay. But those are the few that I found to be really like. Well, these are things that you connect with. You understand Lembus bread. You understand dwarves. I do. But I don't. Here's something I don't understand. Uh, and since we're talking about sketches, we'll just talk about this now, even though it's chapters ahead of where we are in this moment. The sketch for chapter uh, eight, or excuse me, sketch ch- or chapter seven uh, of the dragon helm and the bow. Um, I'm bothered by this because it 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 doesn't exactly re- resemble the dragon helm on the cover of my book. Where's the sketch of the helm? Eight. Oh, an eight. Yeah. Said seven, but whatever. Looks looks very Roman, doesn't it? It looks very Roman, which is fine. But the the top dragon looks very Chinese, for one. Okay, how does it not look like the one on the cover? Looks exactly the same to me. To you, this is what mine looks like. Ah, that cover. I'm not even sure that's Alan Lee. This I don't is think what mine it is Alan like. Lee. Yeah, because mine looks ex- the exact same. Yeah, mine mine is missing that entire top portion. Mm. Um. So I guess, hey, cover artist for this book, 
Hey, you're no... Oh, yeah, it's it says on the back, cover illustration by Didier Graffert. <laughs> His name is Graffart? G-R-A-F-F-E-R-T. Yeah, sure. Hey, Didier. Basically early chat GPT. Hey, Didier, uh, go back to school. Do you think... Because they just didn't want to commission new work for the paperback? I have no idea, man. That's so like, weird. Why didn't they just use the same one? Maybe this was something they already had. Maybe it's one of those things where you already commissioned a bunch of options, and then you choose one, and then they had this line around there like, eh, fuck it. Nope, pe- people will, will buy it because there's new, new art. Who knows? But anyway, that's interesting. I'm glad you have that copy. I'm glad you're using it, and I'm glad that you like the illustrations. And I... I mean that all very sincerely. I Why think would I think gonna... you? I would. I, I. I. believed you until you said that. I. It's. Uh, I was expressing my own insecurities about feeling like when I express sincerity, people hear it as sarcasm or sardonic or, you know, cruel. So I'm cruel now. No, I would be the cruel one. How are you cruel? Because I said something sincere. That's so cruel. Yeah, I know. See, like that when I said that, like that's anyway. My own insecurities, if I, if I, if, as if I'm somehow cursed by Morgoth. So. Yeah. Just need to eat some chocolate, man. That'll send Morgoth away. That's a good point. That would be so rad if the way you defeated Morgoth is you're like standing in his fiery, like dark tower, or, like swords, and he's like, oh, there's nothing you can do to, to beat me. No. <laughs> Where he's just like, no man can defeat my depression. And you whip off your dragon helm and you go, I am no man that doesn't have chocolate. And then you just pull out a bunch of like chocolate Easter bunnies. And you're just just chowing off their ears. And he goes, and then he just like melts like the wicked witch. That's like the chocolate witch. That's what I, that's how I see these books ending. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we've seen all of the foreshadowing. All the uh, plot points have been subtly hinted at. The, the, the what do you call it? The um, symmetry of story is clearly in place. It'll end with more goth melting in a pool of chocolate. I really should have said spoilers because clearly that's where this is headed. And sorry, everyone. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's foreshadowing and then there's telegraphing. Come on, Tolkien. <laughs> Yeah, uh, do we even have to finish the book now? Honestly, <laughs> if we didn't finish it, would you be less satisfied? Like with, with <laughs> this is, you know what this is? This is the problem that we run into on this show, where I come up with something that I think is really badass, and then it does, it never comes to be. Like Mushi being Snarf and Morgoth being defeated by chocolate Easter bunnies. That that's never what we'll end up getting, but no. it it's always better than what we get. <laughs> Be curious to see what your take on Lord of the Rings is. Yay! Well, I know how those end. So, <laughs> well, you know how the movies end. Because in the books, Sauron wins. Whoa! Cool. Or doesn't. What? One of the two, definitely. Or a third thing. Okay. Well, that's weird. That was a good note catching us up to that you have a physical copy, and I'm forever grateful for that. Excellent. So let us, unless we have anything else, we're going to jump right into chapter five. Turin in Doriath. Doriath. All right. A little bit of a, of a preface for us here. Dear listener, these chapters are, the first three chapters we read are each about 20 pages long. And quite a lot of things happen in each of them. So my summaries are going to be long. So I'm going to read through this in one breath. 
Can't imagine that going wrong. <laughs> and uh, you tell me if I... And you'll see how later, in later chapters, I uh, shorten my shit up a bit. But the first one's real long, because a lot happens. Here we go. Chapter 5. This chapter details the major events of Turin's latter youth. As he grows from child to adult, Turin befriends an elf maiden named Melian. As he grew older in his teenage years, Turin called on Melian less and less while he built his skills as a swordsman and historian among the elves of, of Doriath. His formerly steady correspondence with his mother ceased, causing Turin great concern for her and his young sister. Turin approached Thingol asking for armaments and companionship so he might venture to his homeland to see about his kin. Thingol provided arms, but no companions save Strongbow, Turin's elf friend, who is also Beleg. Three years pass, and Turin seems to have still not found his way home. Growing unkempt, dirty, and unconcerned by the formality and dignity of the elves, this disrespect comes to a head the night Turin visited Meningroth in search of Thingol, but found instead an advisory council meeting without their king, who was out in the woods enjoying the summer. Turin innocently sat among the council, unkempt and in the sometimes rival and in his sometimes rival Saros's customary seat. Turin's appearance and perceived disrespect angered Saros, who then insults Turin and the women of the young man's lands, equating them to wild animals. Turin bloodies the elf's mouth, and Saros announces he will kill Turin in the wild. This is not to be. When Saros ambushes Turin, the man cleaves the elf's shield and forces him to strip at sword point and run home naked ever poking the elf lord's buttocks with his sword tip the chase ends with him in the, <laughs> the, the chase ends with saros gnashed against the rocks of a river beneath the path turin chased him the elves of doriath plead with turin to face thingol's justice for they would corroborate saros's foolish malice Bereft of trust, Turin refuses, rejecting Thingol's wisdom, expecting the king to side with his fallen advisor regardless. Mablong, the elf, warns Turin against this path but recognizes its fruitlessness. Thingol holds court in Turin's absentee trial, after all testified including a woodling elf who witnessed Saros's initial assault on Turin, the wise king Thangol pardoned Turin, announcing he should be found and returned to Meningroth. Eager to return his friend back to the breast of the elves, Beleg Strongbow requests a sword from Thingol so he might battle orcs on his quest to return Turin to Meningroth. He chooses a sword with a rich history and power, forged from, an or from the ore of a fallen star by a dark elf. It also has a twin with apparently equal lore. One breath. One breath. That was very impressive. Especially how you took those pauses Breaths. to... Uh, <laughs> no, I was going to say that. Pauses to articulate the um, syllabic complexity is all I was going to say. I am very well versed in the pregnant pause to emphasize significance in writing. God damn it, Doug. Inhale. You're going to pass out. I am hyperventilating. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I, I did skip over the last little bit of lore about this sword. Where the, it's uh, the sort of curse is put upon it. Yeah, it, it's it's actually... Uh, I, I can just read it really quick because it, it's, it's easy. Yeah, I do it. Beleg chose Anglachel. And that was a sword of great fame, and it was so named because it was made of iron that fell from heaven on a blazing star, or as a blazing star. 
It would cleave all earth dolven iron. One other sword only in Middle-earth was like it. That sword does not enter into this tale. <laughs> Though it was made by the same ore, by the same smith, that smith was Eol, the Dark Elf, who took Arendhel, Turgon's sister, to wife. He gave Anglachel to Thingol as fee, which he begrudged. For leave to dwell in Nan Elmoth, but the other sword, Anguarile, its mate, he kept until it was stolen from him by Manglin, his son. But as Thingol turned the hilt of Anklachel towards Beleg, Melanin t- looked at the blade and she said, There is malice in this sword. The heart of the smith still dwells in it, and that, dark, that heart was dark. It will not love the hand that it serves, neither will it abide with you long. Nonetheless, I will wield it while, it may, while I may, said Beleg. And thanking the king, he took the sword and departed far across Belindriand. He sought in vain for tidings of Turin through many perils, and that winter passed away and the spring after. And that's the end of that chapter. So that's all I left out was all that lore about this sword. Which I found interesting because it did bring up uh, Dark Elves. You think that's what that meant? They, I, I looked into it. Oh, tell me, please. Okay, this is my this is one of my two notes for this chapter. So there's Dark Elves and Tolkien, and then I thought, you know, I think we talked about this back in the Forgotten Realms books. Okay. So I went looking, Tolkien Dark Elf specifically, and for Tolkien, a Dark Elf is just an elf that has not beheld the light of the two trees of Valinor. Oh. Yeah, it's not like a, what's the other word for the to the drow? Drow? It's not like the drow. Right, right. So they're not like purple of skin and white of hair. Correct. Although, I th- might they be white of hair? I don't know. I don't uh, know. But specifically, it's about not having seen the trees of Valinor. Ah, so cool. they're just kind of born in Middle Earth or whatever. Okay. I guess. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. I, I I'm it's it's interesting because we also later get like a different kind of dwarf. Oh yeah, the uh, petty dwarf. The petty dwarf. So it's interesting to see that in this area, Tolkien branches out into like subspecies of these other species we already know or races, I guess. Um, he calls them races, but like they really should be called species. Well, because. How is race different? Because I thought race, as it applies the way the way we often use it, is incorrect scientifically. Oh. oh, maybe perhaps that is the case. I don't know. I'm not an expert. Because it's the you know the human race, mm-hmm. not the human white race and the human black race. Oh, right, right, right. So yeah, because really why that's like, not consequential. It's not consequential. In in like a biologic sense of like defining differences between. Oh right, 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 like, right. We're not. It's not like. Yeah, it's not it's not like how like after millennia the Galapagos tortoise are actually entirely different than the tortoises of other places. Right. So I'm not sure if race is even a colloquialism or if I don't it's know, an actual man. scientific term. Yeah. I don't know. And you know what? I'm not going to solve that today. I'm not even going to get into it any further because I'm backing out of it because Tolkien says race. And so if I'm going to I'm going on... to I'm going to e-car it. All right. So that's race backwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm going to oh, race car it. You know what that is? Race car backwards. Oh, shit. I'm going to Abel was I, ere I saw Elba it. Okay. Well, this isn't helpful. People have stopped listening. Um, 
What was your other note for this chapter? Because I didn't actually have any because I, I, I mean. Oh, just that it was uh, Chekhov's Nellis. What's what's that word? Nellis is the wood elf who saw what everything that oh. went down. They brought her up earlier, and then they're like, and she's and she stopped hanging out with him. And I'm like, the fuck did you tell me about her? That for? wasn't Nellis. That was Melian. That was the queen. Uh, we saw Nellis earlier in the book. We did. When? I'm not disagreeing. She's the one. Remember. No, she's the one who's watching him in the woods. I know that. Where does she appear earlier in the book? I thought when she was set to watch him. Oh, there it is. You're right. It's in chapter five. Yeah. Uh, here, here's okay. my problem. I'll read these two sentences and explain how I got confused. Sure. This is the start of the chapters we're reading. In the years of his childhood in the kingdom of Doriath, Turin was watched over by Melian, though he saw her seldom. But there was a maiden named Nellis who lived in the woods, and at Melian's bidding she would follow Turin if he strayed in the forest, and often she met him there, as yes. it were by chance. And see, that she I thought was Nellis who met him. It, it is. I can see I, how it could go either way, though. It, it is Nellis, because later it's clearly Nellis in... It talks about Nellis a lot. I seriously thought it was Melian. So every time Melian shows up later in the book, I'm like, why is he treating her so formally? They used to walk hand in hand and hang out in the fucking forest. And turns out that's, I misread that. And I'm very grateful for having this conversation because it helps a lot. It does explain that she was, why she was watching. Right. But she was kind of introduced and then just shunted away. And I was like, weird. And then she comes back and I'm like, oh, check out Nellis. I bet they're going to get married. Nellis and he? Yeah, I bet. Okay. Do you, think, do you think he'll ever be so calm of breast that he will settle down to get married? Or is he just going to rage at everything like a bitch? I just feel like if the children of Hurin are the end of the Hurian line, then that's weird. Um, maybe I don't know that or remember there's that. There's still a little sister. Yeah, sure. But um, I think that there's also this later point where Beleg says to... Turin, oh yeah, Nellis uh, testified on your behalf, and Turin goes, why? Why was she watching me? And Bella goes, come on, man, don't you get it? Don't you get it, man? Don't you get it? Don't you get it? <laughs> she doesn't get it. She would She would cast aside her uh, immortal life to live but one life with you. I have. I can think of no line in response. I can just remember Hugo Weaving being grumpy faced. So if you want that, <laughs> it was a visual podcast. It's true. <laughs> um, and I look so much like Hugo Weaving. You do when I pout. It can be remade, Mister Underhill. Oh, that would be weird. Anyway, that so was a, that was a joke I like to make back when the Lord of the Rings movies were in the theaters. <laughs> Do you have any more notes in this chapter? Nope. Well, uh, so I'm just going to think about, because I didn't take, notes were hard to take in this mm. chapter. But there are things that I had thoughts about. The first was, uh, I loved the sequence. Okay, this was pretty dry reading. It's very much... Um, history text? Well, yes. It, it, uh, the way I would describe it is, honestly, it's not so much history text, because history text feels even more bland than this. But like, okay. oftentimes, it feels like, that difference it's a book that's written to tell not show and i think that that is the prop that's the challenge with it is okay is right now it's just saying things like and turin met nellis in the forest they would walk hand in hand they it's do a list of things. it's a list of events it's like reading the notes of a meeting it's it's describing yeah it's it's describing a history and someone's someone's past but very but very with very few like instances of 
characters communicating one-to-one or interacting like you don't see a moment you don't get to read a moment where they're in the woods Nellis and, and Turin are in the woods holding hands or or that they maybe they weren't holding hands but then they they actually come close to each other in a moment of tenderness and affection and they do touch hands and you get this illusion of like oh maybe they are like maybe there's something there maybe there's an affection that's like deeper than uh friendship there you don't you don't get that you just get a sentence that says they would hold hands and then he would call on her late less and less what what is it about the race of man because Seems like dudes are cracked to elf maidens. I don't think that's entirely fair. I think we just own. Here's why. Well, actually, maybe they're all giving up their immortal lives and shit just be just to 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 bang a shaggy human. Come on. How how many men do elf maidens see? Probably a lot more than men realize because elves are all silent and wispy, and you can't tell if they're there. I envision. I feel like the the impression I get about elves from Tolkien's lore is that they're reclusive. And uh, proud and you know hidden people, uh, like you said, they they sneak around. They they're they're good at that. So you're saying men are a rarity? Yes, I think men are a men, delicacy. Men a delicacy, exactly that. Tonight we feast on man flesh. Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. Now I mean, to be fair, they were going to eat hobbits, but we're not actually. There yet. To be fair, the meat that was back on the menu was ogre goblin meat. Like they in that oh, scene, right. they just kill another dude you're because right. he was like. They don't need their legs. Right. Okay. We can take their legs. <laughs> okay. Um, Which that accent reminded me of a note I didn't take for chapter six. Okay. Well, um, so I, uh, I don't remember what I was. Desc- oh, I like the scene where they're chasing. <laughs> He's chasing him because I have watched those movies probably more than any other series of films ever. Mm-hmm. And, I was um, instantly transported in in the description of that sequence to a. I was directing a scene in my mind of that sequence where, to the the entirety of it all, like seeing the stuff that wasn't said between the pages, like this book is very strange. The sequence where Turin and Seleg is that his name or Siog? Seleg sounds right. Seros, sorry, no Seros. Yep, that's what I meant. That's what we all meant. Uh, where Turin and Seros are having their interaction was. Very much one where I felt like, oh, this is the kind of description that, like, a Philippa would have read and said, okay, I get the general tone of this sequence. Now I have to write the actual dialogue to make this work on screen. Writing Maybe the Philippa thing. Philippa Boyles. I did mean that, yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, and seeing that and saying, like, okay, so what would it be like for. Like how can we both how can we communicate in this scene both that Turin is not actually being disrespectful, but the, but make the things he says and does able to be perceived as disrespectful so that we give both characters their like opportunity to have uh to be to be righteous to be to be showcase correct. everyone's motivations yes and I was thinking oh that's a really rich challenge this this would be an interesting scene to make that work. And then, like, because the beats... The and outline, still palatable to an audience. Yes, exactly. Because it, it could be. Like, the sure. way it's described is, like, okay, I see this is a rough outline of a scene. Mm-hmm. But, like, this scene could happen and it could be compelling. And and then to see, like, more further visualizations of, like, what uh, uh, Saros does in preparation to attack and kill uh, Turin out of vengeance and, and, and out all that. Um, you were going to say something? I was just going to say, I think that your 
description of this book as a book of telling, not showing, is a very insightful one. Thanks. Um, and then I, I good. great way to put it. Thank you. Good. And then, I, and then, following it to this scene where uh, Saros atta- like ambushes uh, Turin, attacks him, but is bested because it's interesting to hear like elves described as something that's not Legolas. You know, basically like he's strong but slight and not as strong as a man so like all that muscle you expect to see in men is actually like there when they fight elves but even though in the movies it seems like the elves are lithe but like compact they're like you know corded steel instead of like bulky bulky you know bull meat like a man like the Mm -hmm. men in those movies but to hear that description of like just this you know 20 year old guy tosses this ancient elf to the ground and is gonna kill him or could kill him and then chooses not to like that whole sequence felt like I instantly just imagined it as a film and, and shot by shot and like watching the sequence play out, even though it's not described that intensely or, or detailed in this book, it fleshed out and it was really interesting. And then it took this weird turn where like, it didn't feel like Lord of the Rings anymore where like he strips Saros naked and then, like, st- pokes him in the butt a bunch with his sword and chases him like a, f- like, porkies or something. Like, like, like an Animal House prank. And, right. like, I just kept imagining, like, this feels so out of... I-, I was reading it, and I think I audibly said, what the fuck? And, like, <laughs> like it just felt so collegiately, collegiately juvenile that I, I-, I just couldn't... It-, it felt so out of place. And then it, it- did... And then it came right back into place when Saros dies. <laughs> and I was right. like, oh, shit. Like, it was very out of place, but it was also one of the parts that I definitely had an easier time reading because I was kind of taken aback by it. Yes. and But it does jump back into, like, the heaviness of Lord of the Rings and the seriousness with the, the, like, the lack of frivolity to be reminded, oh, no. Oh, no. The guy is dead. It's like it's like that moment where no one gives this moment enough credit for being fucking hilarious in the movies where like <laughs> Tolkien has this ability to mix horrifically terrifying imagery and darkness and impending doom with this weirdly like hokey children's story language and there's a moment in the movie where the hobbits are being chased by the Nazgûl and they are running they're like they're trying to escape and 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 frodo says something about like we, how do we how do we get out of here without being seen and then the camera sort of fucking zooms in on mary and he just looks like he basically looks right into the camera and goes buckleberry fairy <laughs> like, like this moment, fairy. no i i know it i know this it well. moment where like <laughs> it's it's like he could have said anything. <laughs> the Ocean's Eleven heist music is about to start. Yeah, he could have said anything like, you know, like uh, uh, in classic, like scary Tolkien shit, like, you know, I don't know. But then he just sort of very confidently says some of the most nonsense syllables in se- is in sequence that he could have. It's the same thing with like naming all those fucking dwarves, all their dumbass names, where it's just like... It's so goofy, and then you're like, you know, and also Smog has swords for, you know, teeth and shields right. for scales and shit. It's like, that's fucking horrifying. But also, how is Bumbo going to get out of this one? Like, it's, <laughs> it, it's, that that's, he just has this ability to do that. And this sequence is a visual representation of that same kind of thing, where it's like, this, like, he literally describes it as like, 
Saros is screaming and crying wildly as he's being chased by, like, a wide-eyed uh, Turin. And Turin's just laughing, basically, just stabbing him in the butt over and over. It's so weird. And then it's like, don't enjoy this too much because then Saros dies. <laughs> it's just this this, this really, like... Uh, um, <laughs> Whimsical, almost. It, it's like this, it's this surprising, like, twist of somberness it always accompanies so much of what he writes in these in these stories it's it's just fantastic it's just so it's so weird and then like and it's like it, i loved it because it's like i don't have another great example off the top of my head but it, it reminds me of some of the things really great writers do where they it's like that snowball thing where like suddenly you have gone too far and you can't turn back mm-hmm. and like this is that moment for turin where he was arguably still an unkempt like youth before this moment. And immediately after Saros dies, he's like, I, he, you know, he, he can't go home. And that's like, that's like for him, that's very real. Even though everyone else around him saying, no, you, you can, everything can like, this is a tragedy. This sucks. We are, we're all going to miss Saros. He was a fool, but also, it's a bit of a bummer that he's dead and the king will surely miss him. But also you're his foster son. We're all going to back you up. If you just come home, we can talk this through. And Turin's like, no, I can't. And I, I feel like I've seen that in many great movies and stories, but I, for some reason, been blanking on recalling any of them. I feel like it's a very Stephen King thing, but it's not, it's not him that, that is the best at this. It's kind of like, I mean, in, in, in a very basic sense, it's it's like The Fugitive, where it's like, you know he's innocent, but the whole movie is now about him being chased, and, right. he, and he, he, can't, he can't prove it. So, like, in Turin's mind, he's Harrison Ford. Like, I didn't kill Saros. That was pretty good. Um, but also, <laughs> Thingol doesn't care. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> um... Like just any name, any name, Bellic. I don't care. Yeah, just yeah, some just, name. somebody. Uh, Thingol, got it. Whew. <laughs> that scene also takes place above a waterfall. It's the same. Which technically, this one doesn't take place above a waterfall. It takes place in like a gorge over a river. It doesn't matter. The point is, it wasn't that... me. It was the one-armed dwarf. <laughs> it felt rich. Like that mm-hmm. sequence really felt like. Like out of place, but also rich and 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 good, and and then we get more of that like Tolkien lore about the swords and all this other stuff that like I always like that stuff, but it I, I wish I, I guess I still wish this book was a little more showy, not telly. Sure. And it's just not. I don't have any notes in a lot of the I have notes later, but in this one I, I I was so detailed in the descriptions of the things that happened. It really is just like sort of pushing through Turin's adolescence. And establishing some characters, establishing some motivations. I still don't know which way the book's gonna go. What do you mean? Like the, the the overall plot. Like, is Turin oh, right. gonna rescue his dad? Is he just gonna have his own adventures? Is I I don't know. Like, I know Lord of the Rings is about destroying the ring. Yeah. And Hobbit's about destroying Smaug. I don't know what this book's gonna be about. It, it, so far, well, first off, we do know a little bit because you and I cheated, and we I haven't talked. We didn't talk about that. I don't cheat. We didn't. We didn't talk about what we. Rob, we've not spoken about what we did. I. 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 I don't know what you're talking about. But if I did something that we don't speak about, I must have taken the solemn oath to never speak about it. So, nah. 
Well, if you, then, if you want to break the compact, you go for it. Well, I just feel like if we're going to pretend like it, what happened didn't happen. That was the whole point of everything. I, I just feel like your point of explaining, like, I don't, I don't know what the plot is yet. It's true. You don't in, in this reality. But there's another reality that we also live in. And in that reality, you and I were, we were, we delved too deep and we brought up a <laughs> chat GPT and we were fooling, we were horsing around. <laughs> Do not read from the book. And we asked chat GPT to pitch us to write a, 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 a log line or whatever, a pitch for a Lord of the Rings style movie about the tale of Turin. Yep. And chat GPT wrote a, an interesting, an interesting pitch, which was a little spoily. <laughs> and the thing that was interesting about it, listener, is that what we were, we were looking at it and we were like, we're reading it and we were reading it. And then I was looking at, it, I was reading it out loud and I was like, Oh, it's naming all these people. These characters that I don't recognize their names for because we haven't read that much of the book yet. Who were? Th- I wonder if these are real people or if this is just random bullshit. Oh, chat, you're so silly. And then Rob wrote to his appendix and said, oh, shit, all those names are in this appendix. <laughs> Holy yes. shit, it seems like this might actually be about... <laughs> this, this, this pitch might be spoiling the book for us. So, yeah, what we know is that it's... So- Here's all I remember from because we stopped. We didn't read the whole thing. Once we realized it was spoiling the book for us, we stopped reading. Right. But um, what I do remember is that we do see a dragon of some kind, and we also see a lady of some kind whose name I don't remember. But there's a lady elf, maybe. I mean. I mean, the Chet GPT introduced us to Beleg before we read about Beleg. Oh, was that it? Yeah. There, so, there was that as well, at least. Yeah. So, um, fascinating. Um, so, in a sense, yes, we don't know about what this book's about up to this point. We know it's about the children of Hurin, one of which is Turin. It's the only one we're really seeing now. And, but my, my point really was not to, like, spo- like let the cat out of the bag uh, or the, you know... Dragon out of the horde, Balrog out of the mine. I don't know. Um, but the uh, the idea is, <laughs> um, what? I, I don't. I I couldn't think of the dark city. I was gonna be like the ring wraiths out of Barad-dur, but that's not right. Yeah. The wizard out of Isengard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. The hobbits out of the Shire. Um. So anyway, Galadriel out of the east. That's very accurate. The hobbits out of Lambas. Anyway, <laughs> that's more of a like a, a scarcity thing, not a not a release. Sure, sure. Anyway, sure. Um, <laughs> so the <laughs> the thing I was getting at is we what we here's what we know at this point in the book is if we didn't have it spoiled by us by an AI who did not care that we didn't know, we know that Aragorn mentions Turin's. Uh, deeds. He mentions Turin as a hero of old. We know that. 
I don't know how he does it, but we know that he does. Do you think Turin is an antecedent of Aragorn's answer? Uh, who's the guy who cut the ring off Sauron's hand? Um, Isildur. Isildur. Do we think Turin's an antecedent of Isildur? Um, poss- I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me, I guess. It, like, to- like Tolkien loves his kings and he loves his lineages, so it wouldn't surprise as me. As much as I love using the word antecedent and can work it into a conversation whenever I get a shot. Yeah, you do. You do. Mm, love it. You do. I do. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if that's. I don't think it's listed in the in the appendices at all about any of that. But no, um, it's not. But. But my point is, we know that he does something great. I would argue that the things he's done so far are not great. They are not like legend worthy and we're almost halfway through the book if not exactly halfway through the book i think by the time we end these chapters we're halfway through the book and there's no legendary events happening yet i mean there's a lot of backstory a lot of character a lot of being told who this character is Mm -hmm. (laughs) other than that not much so yeah i'd say i agree at this point you don't i agree we don't really know what the plot of the story is so uh you have anything else to say about that chapter before we move on let's get to chapter six Turin among the outlaws. Turin takes up with a band of outlaws after they ambush him in the forest. Super rapey outlaws. I'll get there. He kills one of their more trigger-happy members and offers to take the slain man's place in their ranks. Their leader agrees, but shortly after Turin slays the bandit leader as well, after discovering him assaulting a woman in the forest. Then Turin takes command of the bandits. Turin leads the bandits towards the orcs in the north as the evil hordes sack the villages of men. Beleg treks down Turin's bandit party and is held captive until Turin's return. The two old friends discuss what next they should do, and it is agreed they will split up. Turin then leads the evil men in good deeds against the orc armies, and Beleg returns home. Upon his return, Beleg is gifted lambes bread by the queen and encouraged to return to Turin. That's, I mean, I'm, 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 it's tough because I'm basically telling you a book that's all about telling you about the things. That but happen. you did it much quicker. Yeah. So, yeah, all that happens. Uh, the, yep. the, 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 I, I want to point something. So let's talk about the rapes. <laughs> I want to talk about rape because I think that in this context of the book, it reminds me of something I said to you in the last episode, which was in reference to. You pointed out how lame it is to talk about people just dying of grief. And I mentioned that I thought, well, perhaps what this actually is, is Tolkien's polite way of alluding to a suicide. Mm, Right. And this reminds me so much of that, too. That idea of, like, he's not saying, he's not saying, and then, and then Turin, uh, brushed aside a, a a leaf or a branch of birch to expose a glade wherein uh, Angle and Fingal, I don't remember their names, but let's just say that's what they were, um, are assaulting, or excuse me, it's Androg and somebody else. Androg and the captain, I don't remember the captain name, but right. uh, are, are uh, tossing a woman around, her, her robes tattered, her, you know, her, all this other stuff, or like they're violently choking her and all this other stuff. There's nothing, none of that's happening. It's they're chasing a woman who's, he describes her dress being torn by thorns through a, not by them. No, I, I totally picked up on this because there was a line earlier about how the men would just take whatever food they wanted or have other needs met. And I'm yes. like, 
Yes. Other knee? What, yes. I beg your pardon? There's a lot of weird allusions here to, yeah. like, these bandits Assault. being rapists and pillagers. Even the line, there's a line where one of the guys says, or Turin asks one of the other bandits, hey, where are, where's the captain and uh, Androg? And the guy's like, they're out getting honey from bees. <laughs> I did not put that together. Yeah. And he says, he says, yeah, so, you know, hopefully they don't bring back any bees that will sting us, i.e. pissed off people that were coming to kill the people who raped their family members. Family, yeah. So it's very interesting to read this with those, like, with that subtext, with the way he's working around talking about uh, stuff. Because I, there's a part of me that would have assumed, like, that, like, rape wouldn't have been a part of the stories of Tolkien. Right. But it sure as shit is, at least in this one. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's as bad as Game of Thrones. It's just classier about telling it. Yeah, yeah. And it, well, Game of Thrones has it persistent. It's it's pernicious in Game of Thrones, where it's like, okay, actually, I don't. In the in the show, it is. I I, sh- I don't remember a lot of actual assault in the show. There's some, but I thought it was just more sex in the show. There is a lot of talking about and threatening. Okay. Okay. And remember, actually, I stopped in season and, and four, and that was back when season four was new, so I don't remember much. So I don't remember. That. It's been a long time since I watched it all, but I know my there was a horrific is, scene is a that, that happened after I stopped watching, and I heard about it, and I'm like, oh, I'm glad I stopped watching. But yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So it's not as bad, but it is. It is sort of interesting to see. I, I, I'm surprised. I was surprised to see it, but there it is. It's there. Interesting. I don't really have any other notes. I get. I don't have about. Well, this, the only this other section. note I've got is amusement at the name he takes among oh, the outlaws. Like Nathan. Well, it's not quite Nathan. It's. Hold on a second. Turn among the outlaws. Can I find it written? N e i t h a n. Which I could only read as Nathan, but with an Australian accent. Nathan. Nathan. His name's Nathan. That just amused me. You know what? Now that you've brought it up, Rob, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take a trip back to the pronunciation guide. Oh, no. Oh, wait. I've got one of those. I can flip through it. Oh, that's great. Okay. E-I. Gray. What? Nathan. It's Nathan. Oh, fuck that. Okay. So, according to the pronunciation guide. Wait. E-I or I-E? E-I. So Nathan is spelled N-E-I-T-H-A-N. According to the pronunciation guide, vowels that go E-I as in Taglin as the sound of English gray, G-R-E-Y. So N-E-I-T-H-A-N would be Nathan. You're not wrong, but I'm still calling him Nathan. Nathan. Oh, no, Nathan. Nope, Nathan. I'm sorry, I was going, I was doing that other thing I do. Yes, you do the other thing you do. So he did call himself Nathan. <laughs> did you know, have we talked about how in the original X-Men cartoon, Wolverine's Australian? Uh, we've we've mentioned it in passing. You're talking about the one before the 90s cartoon, the Pride of the X-Men from I'm the ta- I'm, Yeah, it's what, what, what could be called the pilot, which is... It was, I mean, it's the Pride of the X-Men. But he was, also, he was also Australian in the one-off episode of Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, which showed the backstories of Bobby Drake and Firestar. Hmm. Jessica Drew, I want to say? Or she's Firestar? Spider-Woman. She, no, she's Spider-Woman. Yeah, who, who's Firestar? 
I don't remember. You've just discovered the one, uh, the one ultra. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. She was created for Spider-Man and his amazing friends and later introduced in the comics. Yeah. She's not my, that's fine. She's in a gray area. I don't know. A Jean gray area. No, not that. A Joe fix it area. No. God damn it. I don't have a third. Comedy comes in three. So clearly this. Are you talking about the gray Hulk? Yes. Okay. I didn't. I, I only know him as Mister Fixit. I didn't know his name was Joe. Oh my God! I thought you were Mister Marvel. I knew he's Mister Fixit. Anyway, um, <sighs> please, Mister Fixit, <laughs> my father. What are we talking about? The Gray Elves of the Forgotten Realm, or the Gray Dwarves of the Forgotten Realm? Who's the only character I don't remember his name? I don't remember that character's name at all. Did, uh, did, did we have one that was the, the, in... the name the Dritz would never forget? Yeah, yeah. There totally was a name that Dritz would never forget, and then he totally <laughs> forgot it. He constantly forgets the name he'll never forget. Um, God damn it! It should have been. Story. It should have been the name Dritz always has to remember. Because <laughs> he forgets it, and then he goes, "Oh no, I remember it. I I haven't technically forgotten it because I got back to it, but I did forget it for a moment." He's like Trumpian. Um, all right, so. Fuck, Nathan. All right, so we're back to the book. And do you have any more things to say about Chapter 6? I don't. Then, then let's advance to Chapter 7. Of Mim the Dwarf. All right. And maybe we should look at the pronunciation guide. Maybe yeah, it's, it's okay. Mime I, I the do, Dwarf. I do keep saying Mim. It's probably Meme. Uh, and I'm not seeing one eye with a little hat on it. So I guess Tolkien just expects us to know how to pronounce an I with a hat. Well, I'll say Mim until we learn otherwise. Yep. All right, back Madam to the summary. Mim. The last Mimsy, the petty dwarf. Twas Brillig. Turin's bandits fend off their camp from three shadowed figures, firing arrows into the darkness, capturing only one. An old petty dwarf named Mim. He promises to lead them to his home where they may take comfort and refuge from the elements in exchange for his life. The bandits agree on the conditions Mim stay with them all night and that he is shackled to prevent escape. The next morning, Mim informs them that shackling a dwarf is an extreme offense, which he will not forgive. Turin promises to never bind Mim again. The next morning, they trek to Mim's hideout and find his son died in the night struck by an arrow from Androg's bow. Mim curses Androg and bids him uh, break his bow and arrows at the feet of the dead dwarf and never raise bow or knock arrow again. Androg agrees, but mutters a curse of his own on Mim, that he should die with a dart in his neck. Turin and his bandits live with Mim and his surviving son through the winter. Eventually, Beleg finds their camp and joins them, bringing Turin his gifts. Turin and Beleg have a spat, but make up with Turin committing himself forever. Heed Beleg's counsel. Except for going back. Going back? He's like, he's like, I will totally listen to anything oh, right, you right, ever right. tell me, except going back to Thingle. Yeah, yeah, except like, going back to... What the fuck were to... we even doing then? Shut up, yeah. Turin. <laughs> except this one... Never, you could never ask me to do this one thing. Don't you fucking ask me, Balak. Don't never, you fucking ask me. Never ask me to do this, okay? And then there's going to be a scene later where he goes, you promised to never ask me, man. Are you never ask me. 
and then he has to do it. I actually have two notes in this, but I'm not sure if they're good. Do you have any notes? I, I, I don't really, other than I felt this chapter particularly suffered from the telling, not showing. It was like, this event happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And I'm like, Jesus, you're throwing all this stuff at me, and it's not very engaging. Because there's a lot of interesting stuff happening here, but the way you're telling it, it's it's almost like it's, um, you know, just trying to get to the next scene you want to write about. I don't know. What do you have? What Tell me of your note. I'm trying to, I wrote a note that has a page note, and I'm trying to remember where. Oh, what page? Maybe I can find it. I, I have page 135. My note is, Mim is righteously spiteful and unforgiving. I love it. Oh, yeah, here it is. I hear you, said Ulrad, who had looked at in the sack when Mim was taken. Yet you would not be parted, and your words only make me wonder the more. Okay, so, so sorry, to pack up a little bit, Mim saying that he, they offered him, uh, he, he offered to escape, essentially, go back home, but not, but part with his sack of roots. And right. Mim's like, nah, fuck, fuck that, I'm staying with the root bag. And then they <laughs> bound him, and then his son died, because um, he didn't go home right. for the roots. And they're, and so they're kind of mentioning to him that, like, uh, that's kind of fucked up. You could have left without the roots and then come back for the roots. And he's like, no, you, the roots are really important to me, too. <laughs> also, they're trash, and they mean nothing, but they're really important. Um, and these roots are, are, from the way they were described later, are these just potatoes? I don't know exactly what they are. They're probably potatoes, but they're, they're roots that, are, that men tromp over and do not regard and that Mim will not teach the men how to find because they're special roots. Um, also, they're food and they taste like bread. And uh, so they're kind of like Lembus, I think, where they're like kind of a magic food that can store forever and be great. So they're kind of potatoes. Yeah, um, potatoes. So taters. Uh, potatoes. <laughs> Sorry. No, it was uh, <laughs> it was spake into being, and uh, you answered that call. If 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 there's only one, if if ever there was a place to make that reference, it was that moment. So. Um, so this guy Ulrad is saying like, I don't get it. You, you said that you would not leave them. They're super valuable. All their, their trash. I'm very confused why you, if, if it, I'm confused by both. And so Mim says, or then it follows Mim turned and looked at him darkly. You are one of the fools that spring would not mourn. If you perished in winter, he said to him, I had spoken my word. And so must have returned willing or not with sack or without let a lawless and faithless man think what he will. But I love not to be parted from my own by force of the wicked, be it no more than a shoe thong. Do I not remember that your hands were among those that put bonds on me and so held me that I did not speak again with my son? Ever when I deal out the earth bread from my store, you will not be counted out. No, you will be counted oh, out. Excuse me. You will be counted out. And if you eat it, you shall eat by the bounty of your fellows, not of me. I just really like that. No fucking potatoes for you. He just he just looks at the guy and says, you're the dick that cost me my son. You specifically. <laughs> so guess what, fuck boy? No potatoes for you. And that's pretty cool. Also, Mim turns out not to be a good guy. So, um, <laughs> I have another note on the next page where where Turin talks shit to 
uh, Ulred, or whatever that guy's name is. Ulred. Um, yeah, the very next page... So, so this this continues. Ulrod. So this continues. I just like this whole interaction. Then Mim went away, but Ulrod, who was quailed under his anger, spoke to his back. High words. Nonetheless, the old rogue had other things in his sack of like shape, but harder and heavier. Maybe there are other things besides earthbred in the wild, which elves have not found and men must not know. That may be, said Turin. Nonetheless, the dwarf spoke the truth in one point at least, calling you a fool. Why must you speak your thoughts? Silence, if fair words stick in your throat, would serve all our ends better. And I really like that because it's like Turin's saying something that I think a lot of people need to learn, which is that sometimes it's you will be so much better off if you just hold your tongue. If you like, just don't say things. Better keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than something, something, something. Yes, something yeah. like that. Because I've, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, about uh, about people in my life who, who I wish would think before speaking or sometimes not speak at all. For that exact reason, where it's like, you are causing so much more harm by your unfiltered, thoughtless, or careless, your unfiltered carelessness with your speech. Your aggro um, speech. Yeah, and it would just be cool if you stopped. So, anyway. or Or like this idea that, like, maybe your right to self-expression isn't paramount or consequenceless. So think about it, you know? Um, and I want to be clear because you haven't said it yet, but this is not about you. I was not saying that about you. Jesus Christ. Uh, you have, you hadn't, you hadn't uh, asserted that you thought I might've been yet. So I wanted to make sure that I cut that off. Before I mean, you could. I, I wasn't talking about that you. when I read the paragraph, Doug's going to find a way to fucking bring this up. <laughs> And look, Doug found a fucking way to fucking bring it up, but did, did I say you connected those dots? No, I just, just thought you were going to bring it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I really did think that. <laughs> it's not a bit. <laughs> oh, Why must great. you speak your thoughts, I read and went, huh. <laughs> It really isn't about you. I think you have gotten so much better about it. Uh, really, I mean that sincerely. I know I, you I, do. I, 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 I've I've definitely seen you do things where you you are you can sit you. I can see you thinking things and not saying things, which is great. It's a step uh, in the right direction. It's just fantastic. You're doing such a good job. Thank so, you. Do you have any more notes in this chapter? I don't. Okay. Um. Let's move on to chapter eight. The land of bow and hell. The one short chapter. The nine-page chapter. This chapter discusses Turin's bandits hiding in Mim's house of ransom through winters as Morgoth's invasion moves south like an evil hand gripping the land. Mim grows jealous of Beleg and resentful of his companions eventually betraying them to the orcs of Morgoth. Uh, the orcs attack the bandit's sanctuary, killing all but Beleg and capturing Turin. A gloating Mim is stabbed by a dying Androg and fle flees into the wild. So I have I only I don't have notes per se, but I do have two notes <laughs> in this in this area. Uh, okay, I, I I found the one thing I was um, wanting to 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 note on. So go ahead. Is okay. My mine is on for me. It's page one forty eight. It's about Mim and the orcs, and there's a forty eight. It's the only time I've I've seen in this book so far. And I don't know what you'd call it. It's like a footnote. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. 
It's a little but another tale is told. Yeah. Which has it that Mim did not encounter the orcs with deliberate intent. It was the capture of his son and their threat to torture him that led Mim to his treachery. So this is so fascinating to me because I don't know what the fuck this is talking about. I, I have an idea. I have an I, idea too, but I want to hear yours first. My idea is that this is a really interesting part of of the of the book, The Children of Turin or Hurin, The Children of Hurin, because to me this represents an example of how of a look beyond the veil of how this book specifically was constructed. Okay, because. I wonder what the original writings looked like. What what did Tolkien write that this was translated from, that there may be more than one depiction of the events therein, so that when the compilation comes to be, someone has to choose which of the two sides of this story are included in the book. Mm-hmm. And and when that came to... Because each one dramatically alters the perception of Mim. Um, the, it, each each provides a different, you know, context to his actions. One being of jealousy and hatred, the other being of self-preservation and protection of his son. And the fact that they would include this note suggesting that there was another version of this story where it happened differently is confusing because it's just not how most books are written. Well, I, I, my thoughts are along a similar line. Or oh, sorry, were you done? I'm done. Yes. Thank okay. You. Um. I took it as Tolkien was such a history nerd that he wrote different accounts from different points of view. And then when he set this down, he then kind of meta-cited himself saying, but there are other different points of view Mm -hmm. because this is totally a real text and there's an alternate text that gives a different account. So take that for, you know, I'm like, you fucking wrote it all, dude. Yeah. This is weird. It's not bad, but it is weird. It's very strange. It's that's kind a, of dissociative. It's a good point that he... I, I wouldn't put it past him to be such a fucking nerd <laughs> as to um, deliberately write contradictory versions of a story. Right. To, to be a, like... Because yeah. that's how the world works. The real world exists with people perceiving things differently, like you were saying, writing from a different perspective, so that what one person perceives as a out-and-out betrayal and treachery, another person could see as a unfortunate bargain made to save the life of another. Right. Um, like, like literally what happens with Nella or Nella in, in the beginning of the book where she, where without her testimony about Turin's slaying or, or without Saros's yeah. death, right. Without her explanation of like this backstory where Saros moments before had previously had assaulted, uh, Turin and, and was going to murder him. Um, then, the Thingol's perception of that event and the and his judgment may have been his doom. I want to point out that they, in that chapter, he constantly refers to his judgment as his doom, yeah. which I thought was very interesting. I will pronounce my doom. Yeah, so it definitely like it's definitely a thing that that is worth pointing out that multiple times in this story, so at least these two times, the idea of somebody's. Each individual person's perception building a total collective understanding is really important to understanding the world around us mm-hmm. because and I think this is a great point about that. So so that's one note. Do you have any notes in this chapter? Um just that and we have a picture of it earlier but this um stony mass with the crown or cap Amon Rude with the bear and flattened top. There's an illustration somewhere? 
Uh, what is it? It's, it's one of the full color ones. Here we go. Oh, I see it. Yes, yes, yes. That, yeah. That, it's funny. That hasn't. I haven't gotten to the illustrations yet in my book. So there you go. I. I oh, yours that. aren't dispersed through the chapters. No, mine are all uh, together in the very middle. Oh, okay. In a big block. Okay. Well, um, that was just giving me serious Weathertop vibes. And I'm like, didn't Aragorn have another name for Weathertop that sounded like that? And it was Amon Sul. Oh. Um, so Amon, I guess, just means big, you know, plateau mm-hmm. or, or mountain like place where you can put a fucking keep or something. But it was just, I was like, okay, no, I, I was right about that. And then they're fighting the orcs on top, just like the hobbits fought the ringwraiths. That's all. My only other note in this is that it ends with this chapter where, where, where we will end our episode. This chapter ends with um, Mim being stabbed by Androg and uh, Beleg being wounded to some degree. And, and Mim approaching Beleg in hate and vengeance uh, uh, with, with intent to kill him. And if not for Androg's like last you know act... Beleg would have been slain right there, and then and Mim goes off, and I, <laughs> I wish so badly that I could say, yeah, and that's it, and we, it's a kind of a cliffhanger. I wonder what's going to happen, except for the fact that the very <laughs> next chapter's title, uh, I'll, I'll just say the very next chapter we will start our next episode with is chapter nine, the death of Beleg. Yeah, so kind of like, uh, <clears throat> not how a like that's not how cliffhangers work, like. <laughs> If if Star Wars if the sequel to the A New Hope was titled Is Han Solo Dead? There would have been a lot of questions about like like it would have been a very hard hard movie to walk into expecting anything else to happen. Or let me rephrase, if if The Force Awakens had been called Han Solo Dies, like that Spoilers for The Force Awakens. Literally one of us hasn't seen it, so I guess that's fair. <laughs> it's 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 just remarkably telling. <laughs> like it's just it's, it's just fucked up. Like okay, Belleg is dead. All right, cool, 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 cool. I guess the part. I guess the fellowship's broken. Whatever. Um, that's another. That's a good point. Do you think it? It, it, it definitely feels like he's hitting all of the Tolkien notes, or starting dwarf. to. Like like yeah. you know. The hero has a companion who is a dwarf and one that's a, a elf, and he's got secret elf mail under his clothes, and really that's all I've got so far. No, there's uh, no, you're not wrong. Uh, I think there's a lot of that in there that I was also picking up on. Like, oh, it's it's very, uh, it rhymes a little bit with rhymes. The that's a good word for it. Yeah, because um, it's not like he's knocking himself off, but it's trying, just enough trying to hit those same, same notes. notes that the rings of power. Yeah, he's trying to do. Yeah, so yeah, I, I I have seen that, but I'll I'll say this: I am pleasantly surprised that so far, uh, it looks like it's more like tempting with the idea that that's where he's building another party of of you know multi class, multi race people, like the classic D and D adventuring party. Right. Except except right off, like as far as we are right now, uh, Beleg's a traitor. He's going to die. Not Beleg. Beleg. M- Mim's, Mim's a traitor. traitor. Right. He's going to die. Right. And Beleg is also dying. Uh, and also going to die, leaving uh, Turin alone. So really, we have no idea what's going to happen next. Which is, except that we know both of those characters will probably die by the end of the, the next section. So that's interesting. I, I think another interesting thing to note about this book so far is curses are really powerful. Oh yeah, in in this book, 
um, more powerful than I think I have noticed anywhere else in in the movies, at least of the Tolkien stuff. Because I've not read it. That's the whole point of all this. I've not read any of this. No, any anybody can curse, and it's believed in for uh, fiercely. But it also seems to always come to pass. Also like, true. Like 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 uh, Morgoth's curse of Turin. Turin doesn't know. Turin. I'm talking about Morgoth's curse of. Oh, okay, I guess well, I was thinking children. the curse went to Hurin, but it was about his family, so we're both right. We're both right. Right, but yeah, Turin is not aware of that curse, but he's still affected by it. Right. Whereas when Mim curses um, Androg and Androg curses Mim back, it's like, like Mim's curse of Androg is you will never lift a bow again. Androg does and is immediately almost murdered. Right. And except for Beleg, Beleg heals. Androg and brings him back and Mim is pissed about that and says god damn it I cursed this guy he was supposed to die he'll he will die it will happen again but also fuck you Beleg right and I, I didn't I didn't write that in the summary but that is something that happens in this in this chapter which I again like it's all these telling it's all this telling shit it's it's not showing anything it's so you have to you have to supplant your own like emotions on these characters and why and th- and their motivations and why they're doing these things because the book isn't doing it f- for you mm-hmm. and that's a little rough but and, and i will say like now that we're at the end of it and i'm assuming you're out of notes that that's that's my assum- assessment of the book so far is it's 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 not the driest book out there that's true but it but it is very much like a novel it's like a novelized version of a, of rough notes and I, I, I guess that's probably very much what it is. I hope the other books aren't this bad. Oh, no. Uh, I don't remember the I, – I, I remember The Hobbit being almost whimsical. Okay. Not unlike – I mean, because it's a story for kids. It's, it has that voice. Even that thing that we started reading when we were talking about Hobbit Holes in the last episode right. where it's like that's very flowery and fun and right. energetic. Right. It and sounds like, like you know, you're telling a story to a kid without a book. You're like, oh, let me just spin you a yarn. Um. And Lord of the Rings, as I remember it, has some drier parts, but still feels kind of like a novel. Just a little more archaic. Okay. All right. Well, if you don't have any more notes, then we should... You're right. You don't know any more? Correct. Let's get into the new word alert. alert. All right. The first one I'm going to go with is... A word that isn't... I have a couple words from this book that are not in my Webster's Dictionary app. Same, which is why I downloaded a text-to-speech app during this very episode. Oh, that's smart of you. Um, I don't actually have text-to-speech for this word that I... Maybe I do? Maybe I do? Maybe maybe I can make it work? Okay. Uh, All right, so just say it out loud. Wood woes. Damn it! Woodwows. Thank you. Woodwows. Hold on, let me let me see if I can get that little ladder. Woodwows. <laughs> Woodwows. Kind of like that app. So okay, um, so you looked it up, so you also know what it means. I do know what it means. The wild man, wild man of the woods, and a mythical figure and motif that appears in art and literature of medieval Europe, comparable to the satyr or fawn type in classical mythology, and to the Sylvanus, the Roman god of the woodlands. Yeah. Um. So basically, yeah, that's when, what's his name? The guy killed on the rocks, uh, guy's butt pokes. Saros. Saros was just calling Turin. He's like, hey, you're a wild man. Yeah, you're a punk. 
Yeah, always, always uh, having the drinking games with your friends, flipping quarters, going on panty raids. Well, I'd have it, Woodwows. Yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. So there's that word. The next one that wasn't in my regular dictionary was this. Ombre. Ombre? Ombre. Ombre. Is it a color? No. Oh, I thought there was a color. Um, uh, bad people who come over the border? No, not ombre. Oh. Okay. Um, and, <laughs> I'm sorry. And ombre. I don't think a... that. I just want. Oh my god. No, I'm 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 anxious. I'm an anxious person. No, no, I have to tell the people. No, ombre is a noun meaning a small recess or cupboard in the wall of a church. Huh. And it was used in this book at a certain point, and it, I was just like, ah, I think I have contextually have an idea what this word is, but I need to look it up. I totally missed that. Excuse me. I totally missed that. I think it's, it reminded me of the way uh, buffet is used um, to where, like, it, it, it means, like, a, like a, a chest, like a small flat-top chest. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's not how we use it in the rest of the shit. All right, so we got a bunch more words. Okay. All right, we did that one last time. All right, here's the next one. Peach. Peach? Beach. B-E-E-C-H. Oh, it's a tree. It is a tree. Yeah. That It was just, it was one of the words I was like, what? What? Why is it, what is that word? It's just peach. All right, peach next tree. one. Renegade. Runagate. Yeah, it's another one. Um, I just totally read it as Runagate, but when I heard that pronunciation, that pretty much yeah. defined it for me because it sounds so much like Renegade. Or Runaway. Like, or Runaway. It, yeah, it's, uh, it's like... Vagabond, Fugitive, Runaway. Yeah, it, yeah, that's what it means. It's all those things. All right, next one. Renal. Renal? Renal. R-U-N-N-E-L. Oh, Runnel. I... I feel like that's a, a like a long bore, no, like a groove carved in the tree. No, it's by, a, by uh, a by a spruce bark beetle, for example. No, maybe, but, but no, but no. Okay, um, not in this way. Okay, uh, perhaps there's a homonym that does mean that. Homonym. Dave knows what I. Doug tries to find a way to work homonym into every sentence any way he can, like he's some sort of. Antecedent. <laughs> Thank you. Like, get bring it around, or I'm going to. <laughs> That's called teamwork. Okay. Um. No, a runnel is another word for essentially a small river or a small stream, a rivulet or streamlet. Yeah. It's where thing. where Saros dies is called a runnel. Gotcha. All right. So I want to clarify. A lot of these words are just they're going to have a similar thing, which is like they're sort of antiquated short-term version slang words of words that I would already know. Sure. So here's another one. Grot. Grot? G-R-O-T. It's not related to grotto? It is exactly a grotto. Oh, okay. Th- that's what I mean. It is a, It is a, It is another version of that thing where it's. it means grotto, but it's an, some sort of archaic version of that word. Okay. Last one. Churl. Churl. I feel like I've run into it. I can't think of it. What is it? It's a medieval peasant. It's like a, a rude or an ill-bred. It's like saying like a, a redneck, I think. 
There's a word that I think it sounds like that is used as an insult that I can't think of. Is it just Charl, maybe? I don't know. But I, I know don't know, but, it, but I no, I, I don't know Churl. It's the word that Turin refers to himself as when he begs Belog's, or, or Beleg's forgiveness. I know what it is. Okay. It's probably the root for Churlish. Okay. Which I have heard. Um, and I can see that those being connected, even though they're okay. not, you know, exactly the same. Okay, that makes sense. That's my new words. You got any? Nope. No more than uh, Woodwoes and Runigate, which I was right. excited to have, but then somebody uh, used it up for me. You gotta, you gotta get the the higher hanging fruit, Rob. You gotta get the churls. You gotta get the grots. You gotta get the runnel. And then you'll be able to to get you know over on me. But if you're gonna go for the easy to decide words like wood rose, wood woes, wood wood, wood woes, and runagate, I mean, of course I'm gonna find those. All right. Okay. So the next time in the next episode we shall read uh, chapter nine through chapter fifteen, which will hopefully be, hopefully be a lot easier to get through than. Three 20 page chapters, but it right against each other. That sounds like a lot. It's the same amount we've been reading. Nine through 15, no 16. Okay. I mean, unless I'm. No, I'm sure they're not going to be all 20 page chapters again. No, but I'm also assuming we're reading the appendices or something like the next time, right? Like yeah. when we finish the book. Correct. Right. So, yeah, that still splits us up into basically two more episodes for this for this uh this book. And it's this book is really honestly like perfectly paced for our what, what we do. Mm-hmm. It's it's like we we try to try to stick us to 70 pages each for each of these episodes cuz it's like just enough to be like to feel like Ugh! and then and then we just burn through more book and these are like it's weirdly like precisely measured in like 70 pages like we ended this episode on page 150 which is you know basically right down the middle of those like 75 75 right right so the next chapter 70 pages from that is ex- exactly the end of chapter 15 okay it's fascinating. All right, so we'll do that next time. Um, that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. So, pause addendum. We went to Outback Steakhouse last night for dinner. Oh no! When which you're was ag- your family? Which was actually great. Like I, I, so few people were there. It wasn't. It was like equivalent eating to like Texas Roadhouse with none of the bullshit. But we walk in as soon as we walk in. I see they're playing some television, you know, sports on TV, and I see a fucking Ron DeSantis ad, and I and I. And it's like him saying he's better than Trump or some shit. And then I turned to him and I say, thank God we're in Australia right now. (laughs) (laughs) 
like every outback is a a consulate. It's like yeah, it's it, exactly. It's like an it's an embassy. You can go there and you will be safe. You're actually in Australian land in this moment. And then we had a conversation about like I wonder what Australians think of outback. I wonder like and then she was like, well, you know, they have, like, American restaurants in other countries, and they, I bet it would be a lot like that, where you go into this weird American, like, like themed place. It's, it just must feel awkward and out of place. They don't really have any American chains, though, in other countries, right? I don't know anything about other countries. Never been off this continent. Unless you count Hawaii. <laughs> no, that's continental shelf and shit, right? Yeah, but it's also, like, tech, it's still, it's sovereign of us, so... Should've. It's the same. So I don't know shit about anything out there, but like it's it's just an interesting place to to have that conversation. And it remind you talk about Nathan really reminded like me him. of that. Because um, you know, so I did this to her. Right? She's like, I was like, so what are you gonna get? And she's like, oh, I'm gonna get the uh, shrimp on the Barbie, something, something, something. And I I say to her, I said, you know what really annoying people like to do? And she was like, what? And I was like really annoying people like to sit down and look you in the fucking face and say, you know, in Australia, they don't call them shrimp. They would say, we're going to put a prawn on the Barbie. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, those people sound annoying. And I said, yeah, the thing is I'm doing that right now, but I'm couching it in a, in a layer of saying it's something someone else does. Metatextual annoyance. To, yeah, to excuse me from being the person responsible for being annoying. <laughs> and she was like, I want a divorce. And I was like, no, no, that didn't happen. I you can't keep bringing up the story. Outback unless you want me to leave everything in. None of this is in. This is just me talking to you. Oh, I thought we came back out and talked about something No, we else. didn't. We didn't. Okay. This is, and there you go. <laughs> Everything up to where we say we finished. We finished talking about Nathan, and then I say, "Oh, so we're talking about Nathan." Jesus, Nathan! All right. So, all right. Where are we? Uh, you went to Outback Steakhouse. With no, goddamn it! Rob- oh, right. Uh, 